Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. To kick things off for you this week, Mitchell, I have a rugby-related question that I'm going to throw you away. Are you ready? I am ready. Brilliant. So, you didn't really have a choice, did you? So, basically, <laughs> what we're going to do is imagine that you have a unlimited, an unlimited credit card that can take you and a close friend to any tier two rugby in the world. Okay? So, this is not like um, Spain playing England in Twickenham. It's you're going to Spain to watch the Spain national team play in Spain. So, which yep. country do you go to and why? Oh, so it's it's around the country that I'm traveling to as well. Yeah, correct. Team, like um, part of it, you're thinking about the team, the type of rugby, the quality of the rugby, but you're also thinking destination too. Yeah, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of ones out there. Uh, I've got two answers for two different reasons. So, if we just go on a team that I really just want to see play, and I've been thinking a lot about lately, it's Samoa. Yeah. I think that's around just they've just announced their team going up against the All Blacks later this year, and I've just been really excited by that. So, I'd say Samoa to watch them play and play any other Tier 2 nation. But if I wanted to go somewhere to watch rugby as the destination, it'd probably be Germany. I'd love to see... I'd love to go to Germany, drink German beer, eat pretzels whilst watching German rugby team play as well. That'd be awesome. Mate, that's a pretty good response. Why don't you take us through our social platforms and then the Superbrew Yellow Cap for the week? All right. We are on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We are on Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast page. And we are also on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Now, for Super Brew this week, round three, the winner of the round was Rugby Sicko, who took it out on nine and a half points. Followed closely, and this is this is very hard to say, <laughs> but Ando. Yeah. Coming in second this week. Well done. I had a bloody good round, mate. I uh, picked every game and got two or three games within five points of the correct margin. So, I was pretty happy. Very nice. I got got the Highlanders-Rebels game correct, like right on. Oh, nice. Uh, And I think that's the first one I've got for Trans-Tasman. So, I'm happy with that. So, I'll take that. I think... Uh, Well done to Rugby Sicko. And well done to Mountain Drew, Mountain Jew, sorry, who's coming third. And whoever's coming second doesn't really know what they're doing. <laughs> but um, if we look at the overall table and what that's done, Rugby Sicko has taken out first place with the yellow cap this week. He's shifted Liquor Box down in a second space and Zinzan is in third space. So things are looking quite good at the top there. So Rugby Sicko is on 27 and a half points. Liquor Box is now on 23 points. So he's got a bit of a gap there. That's pretty Very massive. Well done. I'm not sure if he's going to get caught now with a four and a half point lead with only two rounds remaining. That's, or that's Zinzan, who's in third space, is on 21 points. So there's a, this is the biggest gap we've seen so far yep. this year in terms of tipping. So let's see if anyone can catch Rugby Sicko from this point. Yeah, I think Rugby Sicko has just picked the New Zealand teams all the way through. Whereas we were being a bit patriotic to start with, I think he's just either a Kiwi or far more realistic than anybody else. So <laughs> Good on him. Yep, good, good on him. him. So tonight, what we're going to be doing is 
going through a couple of the brief talking points from Trans Tasman round three before we have a super awesome interview that we have already recorded with Morgan Tiranui. Now, we had a great opportunity to chat with him for about an hour and go through a whole bunch of our questions, but also many questions from the fan locker room. So thank you everybody for getting your questions in. We didn't ask every single question that was asked of us. Uh, We were a little bit selective, partly because Morg's answered a bunch of them as he went, partly because some of them we could kind of combine together into the same general topic. So thank you so much, everybody, for getting involved with that. It was great fun. And I'm really looking forward to you listening to that interview in a moment. And then we'll finish off with a preview of round three. How does that all sound, Mitch? It sounds very good. Now, as as Ando just said, the interview with Morgs goes for nearly an hour. So we will be, try and be very brief with our points around Trans-Tasman round three. This is probably the best round to talk about so far, but we're going to have to keep it brief. <laughs> How good. Well, <laughs> let's get into let's it. Let's go straight into it. All right, mate, let's go. All right, now it is time to briefly chat through round three. So first up, we will go through the results for Trans-Tasman this week. First up, we had the Hurricanes who beat the Force very convincingly, 43-6. to We then had the Waratahs who did a lot better than I think anyone was expecting, particularly us if you listened to our pod from last week. <laughs> Crusaders taking out the victory, 54-28. to uh, Then we had the Blues who truly put the Brumbies to the sword, 38-10. to Then the upset of the round, the Reds, Got it done in Townsville against the Chiefs, 40-34. to And the Highlanders took it out against the Rebels, 42-27, on Sunday at Leichhardt Oval. Now, that was a bit of a mixed bag in terms of Australian rugby this weekend. But first of all, Ando, we've got the duck off the back. Queensland have recorded a win. We've gone 14-for-1 now into Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. Did this weekend's rugby or the the Queensland Reds win ease your troubled rugby heart? Yeah, you know what it did. And there's, uh, I mean, we've got to recognize that it's 14 to 1 still and that the manner of the Reds win wasn't convincing. And there was a red card to one of the chief uh, playmakers of the, um, yeah, of the chief, so McKenzie. But with even with all that being said, the Reds won. And that that really matters. And it was something that Australian rugby really needed. So I think we're still going to be seeing some big improvements. I think the Brumbies are going to step up this week now that they're playing a game at home after the horror. Well, they need to. Well, obviously they they have to. They need to. But I think because of the fact that they need to, plus they're playing at home, plus that horror tour is done with now, I think that they're going to have a big step up. And so there are a lot of caveats from that game for the Reds. And there are a lot of things that as a New Zealand fan, you could go, oh yeah, but they only won because. Well, okay, I'll just say this. Damian McKenzie shouldn't freaking stand up in a tackle and launch his shoulder into another player's face. Then, then that's fine. So in my mind, he was the architect of his own downfall and that the Reds in that first half really just made use of the numerical overlaps they had, but then basically were just crap in the second half um, and just managed to hold on for the win. So it was, it was a tough weekend of rugby still, but there is some light, there is some easing of the troubles within my heart. Yeah, I mean, you've got to be happy with the victory, but they... The Reds nearly, nearly choked at the end there. The Red, the Chiefs came back very strongly in that second half. And if there was another five or ten minutes, they might have lost that lead. So, well, we've got to be happy that the Reds did do well to get up to such a, a lead. 33-3 to three at halftime. The fact that they kind of took their foot off the 
off the throat and let the Chiefs back into the game, particularly so quickly. They only started really making that momentum in the sort of 68th minute. So they really, in the last 10 minutes, really put some quick tries on the on the Reds. Um, that's not a good sign. Uh, it, it, we'll take the win, but it is kind of worrying that they were able to get so far out and then basically only score another seven points in that second half. Outside of the Reds' performance, were you impressed with any any other teams or were you disappointed by anyone in particular um, in terms of the Australian sides, obviously? Uh, I was pretty disappointed with the force. I thought they put in a pretty limp or tepid effort in their first away match for the season. I was expecting a lot more of them, but they really just didn't fire anything in attack. And we've spoken about this before. They're seeming inability to break the defensive line of teams and actually um, mount not only sustained pressure because they're actually good at playing through phases but actually being incisive in a way that they have the ball in that multi-phase play they there were a couple of points where Dean uh, Dieck uh, Miotti, uh, yeah, <laughs> Miotti um, unlocked the outside defense for the force against the Hurricanes, but they were few and far between. By and large, it was relatively one or two out rugby and didn't really have any, didn't cause the Hurricanes any defensive worries at all. Um, they started the game well, but then when the Canes put on a couple of quick tries, they just had no capacity to chase the game. And that's something we've seen yep. from the force. They, they can't score tries easily. And so if you, if you can get a lead on them, well, then you basically can just shut up shop and know that you're done for the game. Yeah. Yeah. I was quite disappointed with the Brumbies' performance, 38 to 10. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the game, they've just, just generally, the Brumbies have a very strong set piece. But for whatever reason, the last few weeks, that, that has been their weakest point. And this week, they the Blues scored a lot of points through their, their malls, through their scrums, and through um, just field possession so I was really I was really disappointed with the Brumbies they didn't really ever seem comfortable in this game or they ever never looked like firing a shot they were still in it at half time but they didn't really deserve to be in my opinion and then the game just got away from them at half time in the early in the second half going into this game I was looking through their team list and I thought that it looked a little better in terms of experience with some of the players returning than they have put up in the last few weeks but Gosh, it's 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 a hard slog for these this Brumbies team to be th- away for three weeks and of a five week competition on the trot, and I think this is what really has gone to show that it, it's just that fatigue from playing the New Zealand sides away from home three weeks in a row that they're really just looking forward to being back in Canberra this week and hopefully they can put in a better performance. My big takeaway for f- the Brumbies, yep. just jumping in, is James Slipper is the fact that he's not there. You look at the changing fortunes of the Brumby scrum and it correlates almost perfectly with Slipper's knee injury and him being out. So they weren't crash hot in the scrum in the uh, Super Rugby AU final. They've been pretty poor in the set piece in the last three weeks and who out of the front row hasn't been available the majority of that time. James Slipper and he has been one of the most reliable props in Australian rugby over the last couple of years so I think his loss is being really significantly felt well if we flip the coin and talk about the positives I was impressed with the Waratahs performance against the Crusaders particularly just because they never gave up and they kept firing shots Uh, they scored at the very final death to and I can't remember did, did they actually deny the Crusaders a bonus point or had they got that I think they got that I think yeah okay but yeah, I was impressed with the Waratahs' performance. Some big performances from some of their players. Uh, obviously, you can't be too happy with the Waratahs, seeing that this is 
11th uh, loss in a row. But, you know, they uh, we were predicting a, a scoreline of 80 plus. I was predicting a scoreline of 80 plus and they only <laughs> kept it to 30. So, or below 30. 26, so mate. I was 26. impressed with that. I was pretty happy with that because it meant that I got my it got it got me the uh, bonus <laughs> for being within five, which is great. Uh, I Very think good. that what we're seeing is uh, the rise, not the rise, but the continued improvement of team of the Waratahs. Now that it's more of a pick and stick basis, uh, yeah. Angus Bell has just been in my mind immense the last few weeks in a heavily defeated team. Harry Johnson Holmes is playing out of his skin and is just he. You know how. Like, we love Harry. We love Harry. Sometimes, though, he can give off the outward persona that he looks disinterested or is lacking enthusiasm. <laughs> but the real- over the last few weeks, he has looked angry. He's looked committed. He's looked fired up. And it's showing with... I the- think he's just focused. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe the-, the-, the regular beef briskets that he's cooking on his barbecue are just doing him a world of good. But either way, I've really been enjoying, well, uh, impressed with his performances. And Izzy Parisi is just quality. Um, I think that he is somebody who genuinely has a crack at that Wallaby squad. I'm not sure if he'll, mm. he'd make the match day 23, but it's interesting to think about what you would do with the Pasami Parisi 12-13 axis. That'd, that'd be pretty cool. Um, so it's just something to be tossing up moving forward, but I've been Well, I think you've... Um... You've segued us nicely into our third question instead of our second one, but we'll jump into there. So, who were your standouts from this round of Trans-Tasman? You've already mentioned Isaiah Parisi. Yeah. Um, I think I he was for me as well. The fact that he can, he was able to just take it to the Crusaders all day and he was still making breaks in the sort of 75th, 76th minute. Um, I also like that he didn't take a step back when they got up in his face. And the, the Waratahs players had to really come in and pull him back. And he was about to start throwing pot shots at Mwanga <laughs> at one point. And, and you got to admire a guy like that. Um, but, f- but for me, I was really impressed with... Um, I've just had a, a Bryce Hegarty from Queensland. Yeah. I think for fullback, he had a really good game for the Reds, particularly that first half. And I don't want to say that he's putting his hand up just yet for Wallaby selection, but he's definitely shaping in... In maybe in, if he keeps this form up, it might be a name that we start talking about it next year. Yeah, I can hear that. Uh, I think Tom Banks has the 15 jersey um, nailed down for the Wallabies just because of a lack of real contenders over an extended period of time. I think what Hegarty is probably lacking is the same level of attacking threat and just sheer pace that Banks offers. Um, I think Hegarty's probably a better tactical kicker, uh, but... Banks's boot for touch-finding um, kicks is probably a little bit stronger as well. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. But re- if you look at the 15s across the other franchises, there's really nobody you'd be saying is going to be ousting Banks at this point in time for that Well, 15. I was really impressed with Hegarty's performance this week, particularly in attack. Yeah. And he was getting involved a lot and he was setting up space, particularly for his wingers. Yep. Vunuvalu and Dalgunu, he was getting those guys into space, which is great. And if we're thinking about Wallabies next year, not this year, I'm not rushing him too far ahead. But if we're looking at potentially a, a Reds-dominated backline next year, he might be able to link up and unleash some of those wider wider backs because he's got that experience at club level. 
Yeah, agreed. Uh, so, like I said before, my other pick was um, Angus Bell. I think he is just yep. on fire at the moment. Love seeing a person of his size and his pace and his agility just trying to use all those different features, um, especially considering, in fact, he's a freaking front row forward. So, good on him. Keep going. <laughs> he could play eight pretty easily, but he doesn't. So, I think he's he's been playing super well. Um, Carter Gordon for the Rebels, I think, is growing well, or at least in his second game, had a, had a decent showing. So, yep. I am keen, like we said before, to see him just continue to get more experience and develop as a young fly half inside of Matty Tamua, who whose form is still not great and still pretty poor, but it's really hard to shine as Matty Tamua when you're in a team that has been un- underperforming as poorly as the Rebels have. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see moving forward for the Rebels. This week was good that they had, particularly their first 20 and their last 20 minutes of the games, they were really quite strong uh, and were, were pushing the Highlanders. And... Carter Gordon will take time to adjust, particularly as a 10, because it is a step up and you are leading that team around. But that, hopefully in time, will take a lot of pressure off Tamua. I feel like Tamua is a bit like Michael Hooper in the last few years in that he's trying to keep the Rebel season alive single-handedly. He's trying to do everything. He's kicking for touch. He's kicking for goal. He's making all the calls. You know, he's talking to the, the referees. He's kind of been trying to be a one-man band for the Rebels. And no one else is really stepping up to help him out at the moment. So I think shifting some of that focus to Carter Gordon will be good. And if he can continue to play 12, I think it'll do him a world of good in the next few weeks. Um, I was going to say something else, but I forgot what it was. Did you have anyone else you wanted to talk about in terms of <laughs> No, mate, I'm, I'm happy to just keep it there, knowing that we have Morgz's chat coming up. Yeah. Um, do you, there was another question we were going to chat about between the refs. Yeah, so this weekend has there's some been been some contentious calls that have been made by referees and that, that have been missed by referees, and it's something that's been bandied around on social media. Is this week there has really been a difference in interpretation between Aussie referees and New Zealand referees? What do you have anything that you wanted to say around this at all, Ando, or do you want me to to dive into this? You dive in straight away, and then I'll see if there's anything I want to yeah. add in. Yeah, so first of all, the framework in terms of high tackles and head contact is being completely, it's being different, applied differently by New Zealand referees than it is to Australian referees. And there's inconsistencies there. Uh, We saw the shock from the Chiefs players, um, McKenzie and uh, their captain, uh, Weber, when they were given the red card. They They were both in disbelief because they hadn't seen many red cards in Aotearoa up to this point for head contact. If you, I'm not sure if you saw this game, um, the Rebels game, Ando, but Matt Tamua hit one of the players high with a swinging arm tackle in the first half, and a New Zealand referee, Paul Williams, gave it as a penalty only. It probably should have been a yellow card. It could, it wasn't high enough on the threshold to be a red card, but it could very well have been a yellow card because there was, it was lazy, it was high contact to the head, and the fact that there's these two different points of view that are being interpreted by the referees from different the different continents and that they haven't come into this competition as an organization so Sansar or New Zealand Rugby Union and Australian Rugby Union there's no one that's actually identifying what the the letting down uh, setting down a I guess a base and interpretation of what we're working on in this competition is really starting to see some of those inconsistencies come through I completely agree insofar as there is a difference in how that head high tackle laws are being applied. Everybody who 
Well, if, if you follow the laws of world rugby and a process that they have, Damien McKenzie's tackle was a red card every day of the week. And you can't argue with that. Um, we chat about it a bit more with Morg, so I won't go into that in too much detail. But I just wish there had at least been the outward communication, uh, outward press release saying that referees had communicated and talked about expectations going into this comp. So at least they're trying to preempt some of the issues that we are seeing in terms of different interpretations of the laws. And it's super frustrating. Like Akira Yuani has been a grub for the last two weeks in a row, hasn't been picked up for it, hasn't been pulled up for it. Um, and yet it, it's been let go by referees. Well, I mean, that's that's the other faucet of this discussion is that the TMOs and the use of the TMOs between New Zealand referee teams and Australian referee teams are different. Mm. So if you go back and look at the Damian McKenzie situation, uh, Nick Berry didn't pick it up straight away. He awarded the try that they scored off and was walking back when the, t- the TMO intervened and said, check, check, I want to show you this contact to the head. Now, if we look at both of the Akira Yuani incidents last this week and last week against the Waratahs, the TMO didn't intervene. Now, I'm, I don't blame the referees for missing contacts like that because it's their job to act to watch the breakdown and make sure there's nothing going on there. Those plays should be adjudicated by the TMO. Yeah. The fact that we've got these New Zealand TMOs who aren't getting involved and aren't consistently holding the same... Uh, I guess framework or same level uh, is worrying that things are getting let go for New Zealand teams and and they're getting picked up by the Australian refereeing teams. We can't have this, particularly when it has the ability to impact games so dramatically. When we're seeing yellow cards and red cards being handed out, we need to have a, a set of guidelines that we need to work on. And it's probably too late now to change anything, but hopefully we can see some improvement for this for the next two weeks, and then definitely if we whatever we look at next year, we have to have some kind of clear guidelines going on because yep. there's a lot being missed at the moment. Yep. Cool, mate. I'm, I agree with all that you said there, and I think it's not something we can fix now. So let's really get to the meat and the veg of tonight and head on to the interview that we have with Morgan Tiranui. Let's go. We are super excited today to have podcasting royalty, current Stan Sport presenter, former Wallaby, Waratah and Queensland Red player, Morgan Tiranui, join us on the pod. Pod, Mog, how are you? Good to have you here, mate. Mate, good to be doing pods again. It's been a while. Yeah, um, I know. It's my favourite. It's nice to say royalty. I don't know about that, but it's uh, nice <laughs> to be back in, in one of my favourite mediums. Mate, it's the very niche market rugby, Australian rugby podcast, and you and Ben for a brief period of time were that shining light. So very well done. Um, basically, we want to cover just a few questions today about Australian rugby, some of your experiences jumping on board the Stan Sport AU team. And really, we've got a whole bunch of fan questions as well. So do you mind if we just dive into the questions straight away? Yeah, let's rip in. Although I must say, poor Benny Kimber is too important now. He won't even answer my calls anymore. So he's, uh, he's forgotten where he came from in this little podcast. <laughs> Must be nice, mate. Must be nice to be Benny Kimber. Uh, we'll see if we can get him on if he's a uh, butler. He's probably at Roland Garros. Who knows? It's probably where he is, yeah. Who knows? Uh, so basically, you find yourself now as a presenter for Stan Sports Rugby. How did this come about? Because, I mean, we we kind of got to know you pretty well through Rugby Ruckus, and a lot of our listeners are big-time Ruckus fans. And and now we see you on the screen, all nice and fancy with your quality blazers and your white shoes. H- how did this <laughs> opportunity come up? Did Benny Kimber really just kind of sidle you on as he went through the door? 
Yeah, it's, it's funny. You mentioned the white shoes. That's all anyone talks about whenever I see people. It's, yeah, it's all, everything's great, but what about the white shoes? So it's funny what people pick up on. Um, look, I've done a little bit with Fox, obviously. I've done a few games for them at an NRC, but, you know, about 2015. And then I was lucky enough that a, a guy called Adam Cush at Channel 10 got me into the test series at the back end. So I think the timing was good that I'd done a little bit and, and then I did the test stuff with 10. And then when they're looking around to maybe make sure that nine and 10 wasn't just cut and paste of Fox, I think that might have been an advantage to have done some stuff and then and then be there. And then yeah, having Benny uh, consulting at Stan at the time, surely that couldn't have hurt too much. But <laughs> I, I, uh, I stopped bagging him pretty quick. I, I started agreeing with all of his opinions very, very quickly. <laughs> I think there was a, you know, a few other different things. I had a really good meeting with uh, Murray Shaw and Brent Williams. I was in Melbourne at the time with the family. It was a bit of lockdown stuff happening and that. And so we had a, this sort of, you know, the Zoom chat that you do. And um, we had to, you know, I think we were aligned pretty early on the fact that I thought I pretty much had no experience even though I'd done stuff and just really wanted to learn uh, the craft of the broadcast stuff. I think we're all, all of us, you guys especially, will know that you're quite comfortable talking about footy. If you think, you know your, your subject and footy and things like that. But what's been interesting is learning the sort of the art and science of the TV stuff. So they were, they were quite conducive to those ideas. So I think it was just a, a lucky positioning to be in the right, you know, right spot at the right time. And how have you found working with the other broadcasters and the other members of the Stan Sports team? Yeah, well, look, don't tell anyone. I hope you don't have too many listeners, <laughs> but it is the world's best gig. You don't want to tell too many people that, because that would be too popular. Um, mate, you we fly around Australia, we talk about Super Rugby, we're talking about the Wallabies and, and you know, there's, there's a, a crew of mates as well, guys that were close mates of mine already. We just travel around the country talking footy. It's as good as it gets and then you get paid to do it and you, um, and, and you get right up on the sideline and you, you're still involved and keep your connection with the game. I, I played and then I did some coaching and just love being connected to the game and and this is almost the best part. I mean, the funny thing is you, you, winning and losing is a bit of a drug, I and it's, it's the world that we've all lived in, Drew and Goog and Mertz and all those sorts of guys. Um, and so coaching is a natural progression out of it, but it's still all around that week, that connection, the change room, the hard work that goes to winning and losing. That's probably the difference around commentary. Much as we all support the Aussie teams, it doesn't matter sometimes who wins and loses. So that's the only different thing. You're still connected to the game, but you just have to look at the game um, almost just get up in the helicopter and look at it that way, not from one point of view, mm. um, which is an interesting thing to do, but very different when your whole life's been around winning and winning and winning. Yeah, and I guess opening that perspective up to both teams as well and not focusing just on your team and how they're going, but how everyone's going. And I think it's been great this weekend, particularly having Will Genya join the broadcast as well to get a few more current players or around that level. Um, getting involved in the broadcast as well is awesome. Yeah, well, there's so much work. There's so many games on. We had, you know, we had people all over the country delivering games for Stan Sport and then for Nine as well. So it was great to have Willie on. He's got some really. What I really liked is he had some forthright opinions. What I really struggled to do. I did some stuff while still playing and just after. And it's hard sometimes to to talk about guys that you have just played with or are still yeah. playing if you want to be a little bit um, of a politician. But he had some really good forthright ideas, which is which is the human being that he is. So I think if he if he wants to go that down that avenue, um, it's there. From we don't want to get too many people on. We don't we don't want to talk him up too much. But uh, I thought that was excellent. But it was just great someone with that contemporary knowledge, and uh, I think you've hit the, the nail on the head there around that. 
Mate, just sticking with uh, Willie Genia for a moment, um, he had a pretty a contentious opinion about the Damian McKenzie red card alongside checks. And both of them were kind of arguing that they weren't convinced it should have been a red card. And some of the argument revolved around the fact that, and Checker specifically said this, that because it was Damian McKenzie, the fans want to come and see him. It's kind of gone down, not too great out in the broader public that Australians would have seen that as just being a flat out red. Do you think there has been much of a difference in the way in which the head high tackles have been refereed between AU and Aotearoa? And do you think that red, that card against Damian McKenzie should have been penalty, yellow, red? What do you think on that one? Uh, that's a red card. Uh, I think I said in the commentary as we went through the replays, like, I think there's a really separate argument maybe. And I think Czech and Will especially were arguing around the law not so much how the law is interpreted or delivered. Yeah. Uh, the referee there has no choice under the laws and the way the high tackle infrastructure and framework is supposed to be delivered to do anything but a red card there. That was about as easy as a red card there was to give. Direct, no mitigating circumstance, direct contact above the shoulders, into the head. There was force. They don't talk about so much where the force comes from. Force just makes it a dangerous situation. At the moment, if a player makes no attempt to lower their tackle height, then I think you get what's coming to you. It's not easy. We're talking about players moving at you know, high clicks, um, footwork and movement. We're not saying it's easy. Um, and I know better than anyone how hard it is to, to adjust late in those contact situations when you have the ball or you don't. But we just need to get tackle height down. You know, I was one of the ones, I remember Reese Hodge, you might, guys might recall the Reese yeah. Hodge tackle against Fiji. Yeah. He was flat-footed standing there. And I, I argued till I was blue in the face. He, he, he received the collision. But it's not so much about interpretation now. It's about players getting their tackle height down, the way it's coached, the way players are reacting. And there's going to be issues there. I think if you want to argue the law, that's separate. If we say that, you know, check, I think he's big on it. If a big intentional, which is a hard word to, to get our head around, um, clear swinging arm attacking of the head as opposed to a, a high-speed collision. Maybe we want to look at maybe the red card is an orange card where you go off yeah, sure. 20 and a red card which is punching, kicking, headbutting, biting, eye gouging and and attacking of the head. Maybe that becomes a proper red where no one is replaced. I don't know. But but I, I can we can argue how the laws should be and should be interpreted, but I don't think you can argue that, that wasn't a red card the way the laws sit today. Yep. One of the uh, questions that's come in um, in terms of the rugby broadcast market at the moment is there's a bit of a gap in podcasting. You get punters like Mitch and myself, uh, the draft rugby, rugby fixation, many, a few Aussie pods out there who we love the game. We love to talk about it. We sometimes have insightful commentary sometimes, <laughs> but what you and Ben were able to do really well is to have that analytical level of commentary about the game that you brought in through the rugby ruckus. And it's currently missing within a kind of midweek market. Do you, any plans for a rugby ruckus revival or something that Stan Sports might look at offering as that midweek analysis once the teams have been announced on a Wednesday or Thursday night? Yeah, I, I think there had been some discussion early on. I'm sure Benny offered to sell them the, you know, the great ultimate <laughs> brand that rugby ruckus was. I don't know. But, um, one, one thing, I was, I was quite surprised how much people love that analytical side of, of the pod because it's, especially the people you know that I talk footy with, it was just part of our life. We didn't think it was that different. And it was interesting how much, especially the core rugby crowd that just love consuming that sort of stuff, how that was what everyone asked for more of. Um, and then obviously we were you know, quite primitive in our tech in the way we did it. And we had 
you know, the, the commercial rights of other organisations to worry about. We always didn't want to step on toes there. But um, it was it was great to hear people's feedback and thoughts and the way they thought about the game. I had people that I'd run into at one of my kids' rugby games say, oh, that's, you've changed the way I look at the game or you guys, you've changed the way I'm coaching and I've tried this and that. It, it was it was a brilliant uh, vehicle for that. And the great thing about Stan and Nine is that we, we probably have the tech to do something special there on the analytical side. You've seen that with, with the Alana Ferguson's, that with analysis. So hopefully yep. we've delivered that. Well, obviously there's some issues around technical stuff around using studios, which should be fixed pretty soon. So you'll see more and more of that analysis stuff. In terms of a pod, look, I think we're still working out exactly how everyone wants to have their week of rugby come and do it. You know, teams are coming out Wednesdays. Uh, do we want a, a team show where we discuss the ins and outs uh, Czech had a, had a crack at the stat show not long ago. Um, yeah, that was cool. Even trying to work out what rugby heaven is. Is it just us mucking around, laughing, having fun, entertaining? And can we be serious about issues or should we analyse as well? When is when is a good time to review the game? Do we need a highlight show? So we're still truthfully working out what the rugby delivery should be. I think there is a space for a really good podcast for the for the people that want that side of it, where it sits and who does it. You look at the IP within that stand commentary crew. Um, there's some pretty smart football brains in there. So the, the more we can share some of that knowledge, the more we can have interaction and feedback with the people that are watching by Stand Sport is, is good. And it's been great on social to get people's ideas and get people sending things in. So uh, I'm always keen to do more. Anytime anyone asks me to talk about rugby, I put my hand up. So there's, uh, I think there's a space for it in the game. Um, and I like just, I don't talk about it too much, I like just, just jumping on and listening to what other people's opinions are as well. So it's good having you guys. I know... Uh, and I know you're, what are you on, lunch break at school or something? <laughs> yeah, don't say that room? one too loudly, mate. Don't say that too loud. <laughs> um, well, that's the thing with the pod now. It's out there. So um, <laughs> what you do, you just put all your kids on detention, don't you? So then you can have some free time. Yeah, basically. I've got a practice that's doing that for me now. It's great. Yeah, nice. And uh, yeah, perfect. And I, I think there's a space for everyone to contribute. That's the world we live in now. It's not just about the select few who are delivering the game, Who what what. It's not just their opinions that are valid. It's very much a community of people's ideas. I, I, I uh, pick up on other people's um, insights and the things that I've missed all the time, which is great. And if we shift now to Australian rugby and trans-Tasman, where we're currently sitting, 14, 14 losses, one win this weekend. The Reds very nearly didn't get away with it. Do you think that record of 14 to 1 is a good representation of where we sit as Australian rugby at the moment? Well, it's a pretty pretty black and white stat, truthfully. Like this, we, we talk about stats and deep diving into analysis. The only the one true stat is the score, isn't it? Um, and so, look, I, truthfully, if it was me, I, I would have loved to go on and negotiate the draw. I would have I would have loved to just say, if I'm Rugby Australia or or whoever it is representing Australia in that negotiation of the draw, even if there was one, I'd be saying, look, we reckon these two teams are playing the grand final. Mm. All we want is them to have a home game the week after, and from there, do whatever you want. As it was. Reds, six-day backup, straight to Dunedin, play away. Brumby, seven-day backup, play away to the Crusaders. Yes, they had to recover too, but they didn't travel. Um, so, look, those two teams started behind the eight ball. I do wonder if he had his time again, would Brad Thorne have thought, you know what, I reckon we curbed the celebrations of AU and really concentrate on the next five weeks because without going too hard into it beforehand, we sort of realised very quickly that if you lose a game, you're out pretty much. Yep. There's a decent chance that you need five wins. Look, there's a chance five wins isn't enough. Um, so yep. possibly, I know it was such a big moment. I, you know, I was on Caxton Street and I saw uh, Brendan playing a Ramosa in his Reds 50 cap 
he had his cap on, he had a cigar in his mouth, he had a <laughs> Good on, on, he had a gaggle of well wishes around him. It was hard not to get swept up in that occasion when Australian rugby has craved those sort of nights for so long. The TV audience smashed any expectation that Nine and Wildwater Sport and Stan had for it. So it was a great night for the game. But there was that proverbial hangover going into round one. And then there's obviously we're just seeing the difference in, in quality and, and, and performance it's a pretty bold step forward in one and it's, it's, it's well-deserved on the part of the Kiwis. I think one of the things that we've noticed, we spoke to some of the players from the teams earlier in the season prior to Super Rugby, are you kicking off as sort of a preview? And we asked each and every one of them, are you looking at New Zealand? Are you preparing for the New Zealand sides? And most of the, the responses was, we're focusing on us. We'll do what we need to do in AU and we'll get to the Kiwis when we get to it. And I think what we're starting to see now is three weeks in, we're actually getting closer to the Kiwis, but in a, such a short competition, we don't have time to start from scratch round one. And I think that's where we're starting to see that maybe we didn't do enough preparation coming into the Kiwi side. We focus too much on Super Rugby AU. How does that sort of sit with you? Yeah, well, you look at them separately. So, you know, the Reds and the Brumbies have had good years, but there's a high attrition rate. And yes, there is across the ditch as well. I think we're probably happy to put our hand up and say that their depth is significantly better than ours. You know, the Highlanders have got plus over 20 injuries in their squad. Yeah. They can deal with that attrition rate of both competitions, the domestic ones, better than we can. Um, and there is a difference in level of performance as well. But I think um, you know, two of our teams have gone in with a brand-new coach. That, no matter what happens, that takes time. Um, so they're not settled groups going through. Uh, Tars starting again to a certain degree, and then the Rebels really changing the way they want to play. And we've seen the teething problems with that straight away with them, even though there's a bit more encouragement yesterday. Um, and you see the force who are very settled, had that week off. In terms of consistency, they've been close to our best. The weekend was really poor from them. Mm. But the first two showed that they were probably, in terms of preparation, being settled, um, their list management and the way their group was coming together, they actually rolled into, um, into Trans-Tasman better than anyone. It showed in some of their early performances. I think that you know, the Brumbies back home, cream will rise for the, for, to the top a little bit this week. Uh, I'm expecting them to perform really well. So, uh, look, it's not surprising some of the stuff. It's disappointing. It would have been nice to sneak a couple, obviously. Uh, yeah, Brumbies sneak one, the four sneak one, and three three wins is looking almost above par. Like, well, yeah. Let's not forget we're playing the best provinces in the world. Crusaders have beat all but probably two or three test teams, let alone the other provinces. So, yeah. Um, then we then from from straight comparison and performance we go to the merits of measuring ourselves and playing the Kiwis all the time year in year out. What's best for us? And that's one of the big questions we might get to in a moment when we go through some of the fan ones. But just sticking with uh, Trans Tasman, a question that's come in from Rugby Fixation Podcast. So even throughout the Super Rugby Trans Tasman, New Zealand sides have proved they're a bit of a step above. There's a variety of reasons, but what facet of the game sticks out to you, Morgs, as the biggest gap in ability between the Oz and NZ sides? Gee, this is the pod. So it's another pod asking a question by <laughs> this pod. Yeah, mate. It used to be on a pod. Yeah, mate, it's, uh, there's, there's a whole all bunch about of pod. us that have all banded together and we're massive yeah. fanboys of each other's pods. So if you ever see the Rugby Royal Rumble, then it's, it's where we get all, a bunch of the Australian rugby podcasts together and we, we just love it. We just love it. So, yes, that's Mitch from uh, Rugby Fixation. Rugby Fixation. That's where you get like a Kimber as like, you know, like a Rowdy Roddy Piper coming back 30 years later. <laughs> yes. you ring the bell and you go, who's this? Who's coming in? Uh, that's what you should do. Every two minutes, a new pod person comes on. That's a real Mate, one. that's a bloody good idea. We'll take that. Um, 
I think I've forgotten most of the question. Uh, basically, uh, what's the biggest yeah, gap in the, the building? Difference. Yeah, look, I think the one about very, very uh, different things is the one. I think it's cumulative lots of little things, almost everything, truthfully. Their ability to adapt to play all types of game, their physicality at breakdown is, is well. Some of the core skills of, of their players right across the board are just slightly, when you add them all up together, better than ours. Um, depth of their squads, ability to deal with different changes within. You see, like our, our footy, say the 15 on 14 stuff when the cards happen, sort of freeze, freeze Australian teams up to play their game and for that for that little bit more space. So I think the Kiwis are able to take away more time and space collectively as a team and, and also maintain it or search for it better than ours. I even saw yesterday that the way the Highlanders managed the game. Uh, was very different to the Rebels, and that was a huge difference. It wasn't a huge difference in the way they could defend and attack and their ability. The way that the Hondas really uh, profited from that yellow card, they just zeroed in on, on where the weaknesses were, and that was the, that was the game there straight away. So it's not much of, a, of an answer in what the one thing is. I think it's just adding up all the little pieces that, that, that matter in the game, even set-piece and things like that, consistency of set-piece, proactively kicking, some of their game management is absolutely outstanding and just finding where you're weak. In, in all defensive structures, there are inherent weaknesses. There's no perfect defensive structure. The Kiwis at the moment are very good at finding those weaknesses. And how do you how do you find the current trans-Tasman model? Do you think it's sustainable moving forward? Uh, well, I, I don't think we can play two rounds of domestic and then a round of, of trans-Tasman. Um, yeah, it's how, how it fits into this whole Asia-Pacific region. Oh, I wouldn't be adverse to seeing that. You were thinking Moana Pacifica and, and the Madrua come in next year. I'd love a Japanese presence and maybe that part of our region, that that linear, vertical, uh, same time zone competition has legs. Um, you got, you know, the commercial aspect of Japan coming in. Um, and then there's the whole political thing around our region as we try and harness boats for 2027 as well. There's little things about, you know, Japan... Um, as they go up the ladder in terms of how good they are internationally, may not even end up with an extra vote. Uh, so little things like that are all coming into this okay. melting pot of decision-making. Yeah, um, yeah. If, if we're going to do domestic and trans-Tasman, I wouldn't mind going maybe one round and then those points carry over. Okay. So you have a true, a true comp where everyone plays each other once. How that works and, and, and is that too short a comp that ruins your domestic comp do you have a straight final after that? How that works, I don't know. But in terms of making Trans-Tasman the best, everyone probably needs to play everyone to have those points. And look, COVID, we're doing what we need to do. Now, the Wallabies are playing three test matches in, what is it, whatever, 13 days or whatever. 10 days, yeah. 10 days, not even, yeah. So um, we're doing what we must at the moment. But in, in that crisis, we're talking about not wasting the crisis. We're finding out what works for us. Um, but I would say that if there is going to be trans-Tasman in the future, whether it's 10 teams, 12 teams, whatever, everyone needs to play everyone for points for it to, to work. You look at look at what the Reds, the Reds would have come in with a significant point advantage over the Crusaders. That would have come in, I reckon, I'd have to look at it, but we did one round of seven to ten points in front of, of the Crusaders. So the Reds wouldn't be out of it now. They'd be, they'd yeah. be fighting at home. Um, so in terms of the integrity of the competition, it, uh, it definitely would help it. I mean, why don't we stick on this 
question or conversation about the structural things because there's been a lot of rumblings at the moment in the Sydney uh, rugby scene about potential impositions or conditions being placed upon shoot shield clubs by hashtag sneaky seven and basically uh, it's it seems to be an attempt by some of the bigger clubs within shoot shield to really just narrow down the competition and in in the way that at least we're reading it shut out some of the teams who have been perennial underperformers or lack the the depth of in participation and involvement that some of the more established clubs do. Uh, what's your current view on some of these decisions that are being made within a shoot shield? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a multi-layered question. So, so if I start to ramble, don't be afraid to cut me off and get me back on to the, the topic. But look, so that, let's so look at the situation now. Truthfully, there's sort of there's two parts of the shoot shield comp in first grade. Anyway, there's just the lower part of the comp who just aren't contenders, aren't competitive week in, week out. And then there's a sort of top, probably two-thirds almost. So, you know, you know, you're still about 17, something like that. It's probably eight or nine teams maybe uh, competing for the finals. The rest just won't make it. Um, and then there's also teams that, you know, Ramick has four grades and enough for a fourth cults. And then you have um, Penrith and Parramatta who are just trying to scrape together a couple of teams in grades and cults and, and teams pulling out of, Comps, you know, the Warringers and that have struggled to have a thirds cult. Southern districts don't have a thirds cult. So, so already um, there are issues in club footy in Sydney. Now, I think it's absolutely stupid to say that we should have a Sydney rugby competition where the westernmost team will either be Sydney Uni or West Harbour. Like it's absolutely ludicrous, and no one wants it. I, I tell you what, Ramwick don't want it. So, uh, what the other these other clubs? want i don't know so from there you go well, well what do we need to do we need to have a proper competition but we also if we want to call sydney rugby if they want to call themselves sydney rugby well it better include all of sydney not just so you know the the, the 20ks that are, that are east of uh camper down so so where do you go from there now uh, i think there is a president's meeting possibly today now, you're talking about what's being done nothing's being done it's all discussion points whatever um, there's a president's meeting, I believe, today to discuss this sort of stuff. I can only talk about what Ramwick, which is my club, would think about this. Uh, I know that our president's been in contact with Parramatta this year about what can we do to help. And Ramwick, we've had discussions ourselves. We have this amazing junior academy uh, where kids just you know, train Wednesday, Saturday in pre-season. Kids don't pay. They get they get the Ramwick shirt. They're down at Coogee Beach or Wanda Sand Dunes or doing runs and runs at Chloe. Um, you know, we want to have discussions with, with someone like Parramatta about whether we can help them do one of those. If, if it came to it, we would consider putting money, funding Parramatta. So just say with these seven clubs you mentioned, maybe we put up 30 grand each and fund it. Um, Rugby Australia, New South Wales, I think at the moment are stepping back, waiting to see what happens. Um, and Sydney Rugby, it's up to them to drive it. All I'll say is that from our point of view at Randwick, we need a presence out there. We want a presence out there. We want to find ways to be able to do it. Now, I know presidents and GMs out there, you don't envy the tasks they have. So I think, it, I think there's still more communication that needs to go between the, you know, these seven clubs and, and Penrith, Parramatta, West Harbour to a certain degree, I think, we mentioned as well. And look, Newcastle, I don't think they'll ever be able to have four grades and, and three cults. And there's a couple of, of people that may, may be in the seven that are struggling for it. So I think... 
we need to work out also what what the what's the, the shoot shield level clubs, what their role is in community amateur rugby. Randwick isn't professional. The hard thing about shoot shield is you you need to run a professional program with amateur players and professional players mixed together to compete. So it's it's the hardest level. I've done some coaching at it. I'm helping out now in the background with Randwick. It is the hardest. Super rugby is easy because it's fully professional. You've got the players 24-7. You've got the money. You've got the resources. If you want to have a session at 4 a.m. somewhere, well, you can find a way. Subbies is easy too because, you know, boys, you turn up to training. You don't turn up to training. We train once a week. We make it work. We play. Shoot shield that level is – and you've got – you know, players with aspirations. They've got to deliver these these really quality programs, one, to keep up with the rest, and two, because the players demand it. But then I've got fourth graders that are that they're, they're there, they want to play in the morning, they want to win with their mates, want to have a few beers, and they're, you know, guys playing 200-grade games still doing that. So that, that, that level's really hard. So, so do we think that Shoot Shield clubs, say, the Sydney Senior Clubs, should be the new NRC, the new third-tier semi-pro, or do we think they're still community clubs who need to bring their village club juniors right through and, and can continue to play footy? For me at Randwick, fourth grade is as important as first grade. Not everyone at my club and not many people in Sydney rugby agree with me. And that, I don't want fourth grade to die. And I fear that if we go, if we go, oh, let's just do first grade and first colts or whatever, that's not the club that I knew at Randwick. And maybe that's an anachronistic viewpoint. So I'm not giving lots of answers here. What I will say is that Randwick wants a presence in Western Sydney rugby. And, and you know, I've seen a little bit of the, the, the to and froing on, on, on Twitter and things like that and everyone firing shots. I'll go on record saying Randwick is willing to do anything it takes to keep the Penrith and Paramount and West Harbour in the competition. Still want to know how best we can do that and we'll take any help we can, whether it's internally themselves at Paramount or Penrith, West Harbour, whether it's RA, New South Wales. There's these great benevolent people at Positive Rugby Foundation, the New South the Rugby Club Foundation. There are, there are, there are good people that there that can help the game as well. How we do it, um, still, there's no one's got the silver bullet answer. Um, I don't think we should be firing pot shots at each other straight away. I was a bit disappointed in some of the hmm. some of the messaging coming out from the clubs. When in essence, it, it, these are discussion papers we're talking about. If we could have, should, maybe we, should we have one Western Sydney team? Would that never work? Mergers will they never work? Who's bringing what to a merger? I've got more questions and answers for you, yeah. but uh, and I can only sort of speak from Ramick's point of view. What the other six so-called clubs, what their viewpoint is, I've got no idea. And I guess one of the questions that has been asked of the Shoot Shield lately is that there isn't a fair sort of representation of talent, particularly in the Western Sydney, from say the Waratahs. It does definitely feel like there is a. I guess, a cluster of players that are picked from a certain few clubs. Do you think it might be the responsibility of, say, the Waratahs in future years to maybe shift some of their talent out west a little bit? Particularly maybe it. some of the players that don't necessarily come through the system, but like mm-hmm. Tepai Moera, for example, who came across from league, is now playing for the Two Blues. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, your issue there is at the moment you're not allowed to tell them where to go. Right. Not, so New South Wales cannot tell a player where to play. It's not, it doesn't stand up. It's not, I think, I think it's CBA, whatever, in contracts or whatever. And so you'd have to change all of that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so so actually Izzy Parisi, he's got, he put Ramick down at his club, as his club. And you know why he did that? Because he's living in Maroubra. Okay. That's pretty much it. Right? He's got and he's good mates with Will Harrison and Ben Donaldson. So he said, oh, yeah, I'm hoping he's in the Wallabies and we don't see him. Yeah. But he said, oh, you know, I'd love to come down to Ramick. Latham Park training is 90 seconds from his front door. So 
Laura touched train at Daceyville. Do you tell a guy you got to drive an hour and a half? Oh, I'm I'm pro that. What I would probably say is I'd go the other way. I'd go that anyone who's a Penrith junior or Penrith Colt or whatever, mate, there's a moratorium you can't have or something like that. I'd go the other way because I've seen the Penrith team a couple of years ago under 14s uh, state champs in Orange. My son was playing um, for one of the other teams. And they belted everyone. They've got quality. We know the fight with league, but if we could have some sort of moratorium on, on getting those players, maybe. Yep. Um, you know, if, if a guy moves from Penrith and he's living in Manly or something like that, or maybe, I don't know. And then, then, then obviously, I see the whole match straight away about guys getting jobs in the com there. But I'm, I'm open to anything that helps Penrith, Parramatta, and West Harbour keep their talent. Their juniors, what we don't want to see is their juniors ending up somewhere else. Somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think making new professional players play out there um, is an obvious idea with merit, but I just don't see how you would get that done. Yeah. And I think what you've just highlighted is that there are so many questions within this whole debate that we just don't have answers to. And you've raised a bunch of really good ones. And so what I'm hoping for is that there's, there's leadership and there's a conciliatory approach to these conversations where we go, okay, uh, from Rugby Australia down to the Waratahs, down to the Sydney Rugby Union, well, what are we all trying to collectively achieve together? And how can we be working together to support each other for that? Maybe I'm being way too idealistic about whether that could actually happen. Um, but it would be my hope that we're actually all on the same page together going, well, we want Australian rugby to be strong at all levels. So let's see what we can give and take to enable that to happen. Yep. Yeah, and this is the most politicised state. You talk about the stakeholders of rugby and um, not everyone's going to be altruistic at all times. But I just think you look at the geography of it with Eastwood pushing out towards the Hills District in the future, then there's still so much ground out there that we just yep. need to have a significant rugby presence and pathway there. Is a Western Sydney merger club that is funded by some maybe the, the other clubs and maybe New South Wales rugby and maybe RA and, and something. Is that the future? Is that the is that the compromise so that we have a presence? Because at the moment, you know, the, the, some of the noise coming out of the individuals within each of those clubs is that they're exhausted financially mm. at the door, like out the door almost. Like there's just it's dead. Yep. So um, how do we save the patient? I suppose is the way to do it. And just just knowing that if we go from the viewpoint that we must have a presence out there at that level and then we just find a way wouldn't it be great if there was a western sydney team with four grades and three cops how do we do that is that better than three west harbour you know they're they're five minutes away from sydney they're not that far west para being the 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 middle of sydney now geographically and and in terms of the way people reside it's not that's the center of sydney not even the west there's so much ground out there maybe is it two clubs whatever it is we, we can't afford not to be there yeah, exactly. Well, what we might do is shift across to some Wallabies chat now and start reaching the end of our discussion. But let's just start with the Wallabies squad. We're, we've had the AU competition finish up. We are basically at the tail end of the Trans-Tasman 2. So we're getting an idea of people's strengths and, dare I say it, the body of work they put forward over the course of the last two seasons. Uh, are there any players that you think are really putting their hands up to be selected for, super, uh, for the Wallabies squad in the upcoming front French tests? Uh, yeah, there's, well, there's a heap. There's a, like, there's a few. You look at who's in. Well, I start with who's automatically picked. Yep. Right. So Taniella gets picked, and then who else? So you, you guys tell me who else gets automatically picked in that forward back. Uh, I think probably Harry Wilson at eight would be would be in there. Probably Hooper at seven. Or uh, Fraser McGrath. 
Nah, Hooper. Hooper ahead of McBride. Yeah. <laughs> um, six, sure, you'd be going Valentini. And then the locks. The locks and the hooker, in my mind, are the big question for the forward pack. Yeah, so I, I agree pretty much there. Like Hooper, uh, bring him back, see what he's like, let him play. And then you've got opportunities to, to especially with those, those three tests in a short space of time, and then Grite gets opportunities. So that'll, yeah. that'll by design... Um, C7 work out. Valentini's got to be there. Yep. Wilson's an interesting one. I'm a massive Harry Wilson fan, but he's, he's, his form's peaked and troughed. When you, we're talking about the Wallabies now. Like he's amazing for the Reds. And he's had some peaks and troughs in his form. But don't forget how old he is. Yep. So then when you look at that, we're going, geez, he's an automatic selection that early, um, which, which is a significant call. Nick White probably versus Tate McDermott are the obvious ones for me. Jake Gordon will be the unlucky one, but I just don't – I like combinations. I don't mind picking in a tight one the guys from successful teams, yep. putting successful teams. So I'm, I'm pretty happy to, to, to mix the Reds and the, and the Brummies together a bit and see what happens. And to, Matt Tamua is uh, Matt Tamua is the really hard one. Yep. It's good to see him back in 12. It's hard to judge his form with what's around him. He's had to do everything. And then, if, yeah, this, he was a significant loss last year. He went, he went from a, an excellent Super Rugby player who played some some good footy at Test level, went overseas and came back, and very quickly he has become an absolutely crucial part of the Wallaby setup. And when he was injured last year, we really felt that mm. in terms of our balance. We should see what his form warrants and how you measure form in a Rebel team that really has struggled. Yep. And if if you're not sure what Paisami's best position is then what do you do there? And does O'Connor need a Matt Tomoa next to him yep. to help with those roles? And then 15 banks seems to be the one. You talk about body of work, he's the one. Not with the test performance, but with the body of work this year. Um, and I just think in terms of the back three, we've got to select a team to win test matches. So that means you've got to have good kick quality decision-making at the back there. You've got to go fullback, a hybrid fullback winger and an out-and-out winger. Uh, and then you, I think you'll see Vermi Barlow pretty quickly off a bench and then and then get closer and closer. Um, so a guy like a Tom Wright, who's a more of a balanced back three player, he could find himself really important in this Wallaby setup, um, which is he's not he's not one that you think, oh, he must get picked. But I think just the way the balance of that back three will look, he might be the one that, that plays a lot of footy in a gold jersey that people might not expect. If you're expecting Marika to get picked, then Tom Banks. And are there any players that weren't initially selected in that 40-man squad a few weeks ago, a month or so ago, that have really stood up in Trans-Tasman that you think might be pushing for inclusion? Yeah, I think, you know, you look at, look at CO and guys like that. The obvious ones that were possibly more of a kick up the backside than a true selection. And then the hookers, I think that was a similar one as well. Let's get some guys in that we don't know, spend a couple of days with them. Make sure you know that will fit that they'll fit in and they're good guys and, and get to know them and give them some feedback. And I think hookers. The issue is that uh, Pangaramosa has been excellent. Um, it gives us some real presence over the ball. You look at the Reds; they went in without a true fetcher, which I don't mind. And Angus Scott Young probably had his best game I've ever seen in the Reds. He he, he often does a lot of work without having as much impact as he should from all of his involvements. And I thought in terms of the quality of his involvement, that's about as good as I've seen from the Reds. And then Pangara Mosa was their most significant presence over the ball uh, with Filippo Dangunu actually out wide. But um, I've been impressed with his performance. Obviously, being next to Taniella doesn't hurt him at scrum time as well. Um, apart from that, it's, it's a really, really tight hooker race. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if 
four or five different guys get the shot there. That's a tough one because BPA is going overseas. And he's going overseas, overseas. yeah. Of yep. course yeah. And that's, but yeah. you know what, mate? If he's the best, pick him. Yep. We did it with Philip last year. Philip mm-hmm. will come back, obviously, but we did, we did the same thing. Mate, Rob Simmons, as soon as, as soon as guys say they're going overseas, we start picking them. Well, they start playing well. I don't know why. <laughs> Have a crack. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you've carefully avoided actually picking anybody, uh, particularly no, no four and five. No uh, Come on, mate. Who's your, who, who at least your is in the who, There's a couple, who, weeks. There's a couple the weeks. Plenty of footy to be played. Yeah, right. Okay. If we're naming plus, tomorrow, then on current see, form, one. Just pick 30, one. Look. You'll see thirty. Uh, you'll see thirty blokes start almost over those. I reckon you'll see twenty. No, not 30, twenty. You'll see twenty-two or twenty-three different guys start for the Wallabies at least in that in that block. So mm-hmm. even that first test that you pick, you won't even know. Is that have they picked the best team there? Or are they saving it for when if the French get some reinforcements, what are they going to do? So um, it's like, it'll be like a Ryder Cup selection where you're just trying to match up your best player with their best player or, you know, who picks what when. Um, what are you after a lock? Yeah, yeah. mate. This is the big question at the moment. Who, who's the starting uh, lock? Philip well, and Rotto back in or do you go with Neville and Salkai Loto? Um, well, Lucan... It's the best performance I've seen from him in a long time on the weekend, yep. which is why I don't, you don't you want to go out on a limb. If he does what he did on the weekend, the next two weeks in a row against quality opposition, that's the thing about trans-Tasman form. It's That's group one form. And then we're looking at it yep. now. What are we, 14 and one? Mm-hmm. You know, that means that AU, the harshness of, of picking, selecting teams is that Super Rugby AU is Group Two form, and and you know, some of the lower derbies are probably Group Three form. So if you if you, if you come home with a wet sail in the next couple of weeks against quality opposition, that is Group One timely form to get picked. If he can do what he did on the weekend for two more weeks, he walks straight into that Wallaby team, no questions asked. But he's got to do it. Yep, yep, that makes sense, mate. Um, why don't we shift now to a couple of final questions about the Stan Sports coverage of the upcoming internationals. So one of the questions that we got asked is, will there be any stand or Aussie commentary for the Bledisloe Cup games which are in New Zealand? Uh, I, well, I put my hand up. I'm happy to go. <laughs> I, uh, I'm actually trying to get rugby heaven into Queenstown in the week leading up to it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> feel, sorry, feel sorry for tourism Queenstown. They, they lost the game on the weekend. So, yeah. I, And Andrew Cox, who people remember as the private owner of the Rebels a few years ago, mm-hmm. he has a couple of hotels down there and iCarts. So I'll give him a wrap, Coxie. iCarts is one of the <laughs> best places I've ever seen. Uh, it, it's too rich for my blood. That's for sure. <laughs> stay there, but it's and, and so so. Look, I think that, uh, and it's not locked in yet. It's still in discussion. But I think we would send a commentary team. Yep, definitely. Well, mate, you okay. can't trust the Kiwis to commentate, can you? Yeah, I know. We've seen that already, haven't we? Trans Tasman. Oh, it's been half the problem with viewing it. Uh, and also the fact that there hasn't been, when it's been New Zealand coverage, any halftime commentary, apart from cutting in now and then to some of the stuff in the studio. We don't get anything on the ground. And it's just really hard to watch when it's just a crowd shot with nothing going on at the same time. Yeah, I think I saw 90 seconds of the moon the other on the weekend yeah. on that stage. It <laughs> was a pretty moon, but still. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, what we want to watch. Yeah, I think, yeah, with, with, with us back in the main studio, I think you'll see more and more from us yeah, cool. uh, just to make sure that that is a, a seamless viewing experience. Yeah, agreed. That sounds, that sounds excellent. And I want getting you guys back in the studio will be awesome because like we were saying before, a lot of the analysis comes from uh, whatever that thing, that table, that machine is called. And Giant having, iPad. 
<laughs> a giant iPad, yes. Uh, having access to that is just brilliant. Um, now, the other thing that we've got raised, which we just want to throw out there, Morgs, maybe you can be the mover and shaker that gets this done. Mm-hmm. How about the putting together of a stats database for Super Rugby AU that Stan Sports members get access for? What do you, what do you reckon about that option? Uh, well, so you, I'm a bit lucky. I've got Kate Lorimer who's just feeding me stats. Kate's our statistician. She does so much of the work. Um, uh, for that. So maybe we just have a, a little access to some of Kate's work. Uh, yeah. I'll opt to do a fair bit as well. So if there's a mix of both of those things, I think yeah. we're still trying to innovate too. I'm trying to change up which stats we measure. Yeah. I think for, for so long we've gone territory possession, how many times you get past seven phases. A lot of our stats, uh, truthfully, they don't really, they aren't KPIs. They're not indicators of performance. They're not, they're not indicators of how you win. So I think it's a good, it's coming out of the stand. We've just started to talk about, you'll, you'll hear me talk a lot about entries into the 22 as opposed to time spent in 22, um, stuff like that. You know, we want to we want to evolve the way we measure kicking, um, you know, run-pass ratios, all those sorts of things, um, and, and also measure unstructured attack a bit more um, efficiently and clearly because they're, so, they're huge parts of the game. You know, Kiwi's teams are so good at scoring, you know, less than two, two, two or less phases and yet we'll throw up a stat saying how long teams have held the ball for seven plus phases when it's almost a negative stat these days. Like it's almost waiting to turn the ball over. Um, so I think, one, we're in a position to innovate how we measure the game and how we stat the game. And two, uh, let me take that back to the bosses, uh, the up the rung and see what we can do. I think that's a great idea because uh, because what it, it ties into something I'm passionate about. The more informed our, our viewers are, I think the more you can appreciate our game. It's not an easy game to appreciate and love. And once you once you're obsessed with the game, I don't think it ever leaves you. And, and with we talk about free to wear, how important it is. Well, for it to be to be to work and be influentially important, we need to make people understand our game so they don't just go oh the scrum whatever this is it. They go well this is you know, 1,800 kilos of flesh going up, like just pressure going through guys' bodies and and, and, it's a, and every part of our game is a contest. Yeah. It's very different to our game. And celebrate the physicality. Celebrate the way we do things. Celebrate, you know, some guys will have a, have a you know, have five runs and five tackles, but they've hit 65 rucks. And, you know, you, put, you make sure you're putting stats up that appreciate the work that guys do um, uh, on the field for their team and how that affects it. So I think sharing statistics, sharing ways of celebrating the influential parts of our game is a great idea. You Happy mentioned take that one back for you guys. <laughs> Lovely. Back. You mentioned before about innovation. Now I read an article yesterday around smart balls being used in South African Varsity Cup, which actually tracks. So it can tell the referee when there's been a forward pass and it tracks kicks and accuracy and those kinds of things. Is that something that Stan's got what Channel Nine's looking at for the future? Uh, well, I, I t- I'd love to know that I, I saw the forward pass one. I, I still don't understand how that could possibly work because yeah, the don't... ball will often travel forward but not be a forward pass. That's yeah. physics, yep. isn't it? Yep. But, yeah, anything that innovates the game that enriches viewer experience, I don't like tech for no reason. We're, 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 I don't mind mistakes. I don't mind the ref getting a feel for the game and working things out. Nothing has to be perfect. But it has to be enjoyable to watch. And if we go to tech um, and we go about it, yeah, it's professional. It's got to be accurate. You don't, you know, you don't have the right decisions. But it's still a game. It's still a sport. It's still entertainment. It still needs to be enjoyable. So as long as it ties in with the fact that the game doesn't end up playing, taking three hours to get through because yeah, know, it's like an NFL sort of game. 
um, I'm, I'm all for that with balance. Mate, you mentioned, and this is this will be our final question as we finish things up now. You mentioned before your connections with the Melbourne Rebels. Uh, what's next for Morgan Tiranui after the international season? Are a couple of head coaching roles going, mate? Any any chance you're going to be putting your hand up to get involved? No, no. Truthfully, like coaching was is it's if I could do anything, I'd do it. It's it's a terrible way. I tell people it's a terrible job. It's a terrible way to pay your kids' school fees and and pay pay your mortgage. It is a great thing to do. So if I didn't need it, if I'm if I was as rich as check or something, I might go <laughs> for love. Um, but it's and the harsh truth of the matter is, uh, there are times within Australian rugby and all around the world where you you can't trust the the IP and the knowledge and and probably the the, the independence of the people choosing to hire and fire coaches. Yep. Often the people that do it, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know it. They'll, they'll, they'll have coaches come in and give it a PowerPoint presentation and on the back of that, they'll go, oh, that was a great presentation. Um, let's hire that guy. So the way the way we hire coaches, the way we fire coaches, the people involved, there are often times that I don't have a lot of trust in that process. And so to put yourself through that yeah. um, when, 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 you know, when it's your job, um, you look at the way all of us are measured in our performance at work, you would hope that there's some some objectivity and some and talk about KPIs and some clear ones there. You just don't see that in coaching. Look at look at Brad Thorne, for example. They probably they probably stuck with him in spite of lots of evidence. Yeah. They've gone for the first time in history, they've gone for stability, for stability's sake, and they and they picked the person, not the results. And they and they also had this generation of quality players coming. So they knew they had that there. Um, that's rare. That's a really rare thing. And to put yourself through that, I have so much admiration for the coaches. And it's my job at the moment to measure coaches and judge them. But I think sounds bad. I don't want to say arrogant, but I think I have a lot of the knowledge required to be able to do that. So I don't, I don't do things flippantly. When I say a coach has done a poor job or doing a poor job or whatever, I'm hopefully saying that from an informed, considered, yep. knowledgeable position to a certain degree. But the empathy and compassion I have for coaches, it is... It is as tough a game as there is. It takes all of your family. It takes everything. You know, your kids go to school, you get bagged because the team lost. And, and the harsh truth about coaching is, and it takes you a while to get your head around it, is you're not that influential. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an assistant sometimes, even more so because you're putting your name to someone else's program, to, yep. to other people's decisions. So I'll tell you what, I'd struggle to be an assistant again. Uh, it's not bad being the boss, you know. At least, you, <laughs> you, but but if you if I've said it to a few close mates that are in coaching, that you're better off if you're going to go die by your own sword, yep. not someone else's. So go go doing it your way. Um, so much as I, I love coaching, I want to coach again in the future. Maybe it's when when these bloody kids of mine have got through school and they're not you know a financial yoke around the neck. We can just yep. coach for fun. But um, I, I just you know, I, and the great thing is that with the classic Wallaby stuff, I get to go and coach. I do coach yeah. kids and and elite juniors and women's teams. So I get I get to do the coaching and, and you do it for the love, which is great. We just have this great um, ability to impart some of our knowledge and, and and be part of kids' development and see people improve over a forty five minute or a six week period. So I still get to use the you know to, to address the coaching bug at the moment. As I said, you're right at the beginning. Made the commentary being having the privilege to be one of the few voices um, tasked to bring the game to people 
Um, it's really humbling and, and I find it a great responsibility, but it's just the best. The, the, the question that's on everybody's lips is how long did it take your kids to get through that 10 kilo block of chocolate? We've got, mate, it's still going. I'm keeping what? up. Actually, I've, I've banned it. Really? <laughs> Too much. And, and I said, look, mate, it was like, it was like, um, it was like the Pied Piper. There's kids showing up at the door all the time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, no, sorry. Bloody Harrison kids. We see them all the time. I said, so, no. So, um, you know, Jack and Hugo Harrison, they'd knock on the door and I'd say, no, no, Kingsley's not home. They go, no, no, we don't care. We're here for the chocolate. The chocolate. So, <laughs> I think, uh, so I'm trying to drag it out. That's a lot of chocolate. There's a lot of chocolate. I think we're about three kilos in. What? Whoa. Uh, it's, mate, it's, mate, it's 10 kilos of chocolate. Yeah. And they went hard early. It's, it's like Easter. They went hard early. Yeah. That's a lot of chocolate. Mate, they're playing. They're sport and all that. They're not. And their mother, my wife, Alyssa, she, she, mate, she's making green juices in the morning and stuff like that. <laughs> like, it's not it's not a, a, a household run by me in terms of the way <laughs> So um, she, she tempers uh, my lax nature with the diet stuff for the kids. So they're probably actually they're probably due having another big crack at it. It's been sitting there. It calls to me as I walk past it. Um, <laughs> it's accessible, but well, it's actually in it's actually in five two kilo. Yep. Uh, okay. Boxes. It's got its own wrapping. Yep. So if I open a new one, it's obvious. It's got to go. <laughs> so, you know, I've got to wait. So. Yeah. Well, thank you for that all-important update. But more importantly, thank you so much for your generosity with your time today. If people are wanting to follow you a bit more closely, where can they find you? Uh, well, you should have already subscribed to Stan Sport. There's plenty there. Um, and look, I, I interact a lot on Twitter. I like, you know, getting back to people or answering questions on Twitter. It's mostly on Twitter. And, and if you're interested in some of the stuff we're doing with the Classic Wallabies, um, you'll see that on socials, the Classic Wallabies doing lots. We've got a lot coming up around the test season. It's Cool. Uh, if, you, if you see some of the stuff we've done at Beef Week in Rockhampton, you see it's just what we're doing, and just talk about that really quickly, is, is, is we're really reconnecting guys back with the sport. We talk a lot about often the way some of our great players and some of our not-so-great players like me, finishing the sport is a negative experience, no contract, injury, all those sorts of things. And I think we're really healing relationships with the game. Yeah. Um, my one my one goal, too, is to, to heal you and Mackenzie's uh, um, love amazing. the game as well. That's that's one for down the road, but I'll chip yeah. away. I'll get him eventually. Um, so we're doing a lot with the Classic Wallabies that I'm proud of as well. And that Classic Wallabies team that you had up in Rockhampton was on fire. I reckon they could have taken out the Waratahs at the moment. <laughs> Don't say that. It's, all right, it's, he's, under, he's, he's, he's uh, having a tough life at the moment. He doesn't need me spraying him as it is because we, we have a little debrief every now and again, but he's, he's doing it. They're doing a fair bit right there. They are. Yep. A bit of, look, look at the Reds. A little bit of patience, which is the rarest commodity in footy. But, mate, the great thing about those classic Wallabies teams, like we had George Smith, Nathan Sharp and Stephen Moore, three guys that played over 100 tests. And Dick Biwani. Yeah. It might look like the game's in slow-mo, but the class is still there. Yeah. The is still there. <laughs> How good. Well, on that quality note, let's finish it there. Again, thank you so much for your time, Orgs. Have a wonderful week. Pleasure, gents. Love the pod. Okay, the final segment for tonight is the preview of round four of Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. We'll do this super quick and just give you our picks and by how much. So first up, we have on Friday the 4th of June at 5.05, Crusaders versus the Western Force. Crusaders have played 3-1-3, the Western Force have played 3-1-0. Who do you think is going to win and by how much? 
Uh, I just don't see the Western Force being able to upset this Crusaders team at the moment, particularly considering when you look at the table that the Crusaders are in third space, third spot currently. They really need to push to get a bonus point in this next two weeks to make sure they make the finals. So can't go past the Crusaders. I'm probably going to say by 20. Yeah, okay. I'm going to go Crusaders by 30. I think they're going to come out of the gates and go firing because they need to get the bonus point. And even though I think the force will lift, I still think the Crusaders are going to be too good and will put on a pile of points to try and guarantee themselves the bonus point. Okay, second match will be at 7.45, Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. Reds versus the Blues. Reds coming on the back of a win. Blues having won all three of their games. Who do you have for this? I'm going to go with the Reds on this one. I'm going to go with my heart and my head. I think that off the victory that they got last week against the Chiefs, it was good for them uh, and it was good for Australian rugby. And I think that they have seen or they've shown or they understand now the level that they need to play at to match the Kiwi tempo and to be able to upset them. And if they can do that again this week, I think the Blues are a team that's able to be beaten. So I'm going to go with the Reds. I don't think they'll do it by 30. Uh, Probably going to say Reds by 5. All right, I'm going Reds by 10. So Reds by 10 because I think that... One of the great things that Brad Thorne said in his post-game interview was the disappointment that he had with his finishes, how they weren't able to actually come on and do their jobs and match the intensity that the first half players had actually brought or starting players had brought. And we saw a huge lift in the first half after the uh, insipid performance against the Crusaders. And I'm really expecting there to be a lift from the whole squad, not just the starting 15 or the run on 15. So I think the Reds will get up, not by a huge amount, but by about 10. So moving now into Saturday's first game over in Waikato Stadium in Hamilton will be at 2.35, the Chiefs versus the Rebels. For me, mate, I don't see anything other than a Chiefs win. And I think it's going to be by about... Let's go 18. Oh, I thought you were about to say 40. <laughs> no. I was yeah, going to say I, 15. I, um, that's where the F came from. I can't see the Rebels being able to upset the Chiefs. I know the Reds did it this week, but I think the the Chiefs don't want to be the team that loses to two Australian sides in, in two weeks or might be the only teams that get beaten by the Australian sides this competition. So, f- theoretically, they're chances of making the final now are probably dashed, but I think they're going to be pretty livid and trying to put in a good performance to 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 show that they're worth being in the Australia, in the New Zealand comp. So I just don't see the Rebels being able to actually match them at that. So I'm going to say Chiefs by 17. Oh, you've gone 18. I'll say <laughs> Chiefs by 21. 21. Okay, that's in. Yeah. All right, at Forsyth Bar Stadium in Dunedin at 5 p.m. on Saturday, the Highlanders are hosting the Waratahs. Three wins for the Highlanders, three losses for the Tars. Mate, it's going to be... The Waratahs' defense is just incapable of keeping out any New Zealand player. It's like they just show them the passport and then open a door for them. (laughs) So, I... That being said, the Tars are still scoring the most points against New Zealand opposition of any Super Rugby AU team. So, there's a lot to be said for that. I still think the Highlanders will get up by about 20. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see the Waratahs being able to go over to Dunedin and, and take it to the Highlanders. They're a pretty classy side, and they showed this week that when the Rebels started to put the pressure on, that they were able to control the game and reset the tempo. 
and take it and take it away from the rebels. So I don't really, yeah, as you said, Ando, the Waratahs' defense is what really worries me, particularly when they've got an attacking. The Highlanders have an attacking threat like Aaron Smith, who's so potent around the field. I just think he's going to be a real handful, particularly for the back three. So I'm hopeful that it's not going to be a, a thumping. So I'm going to say Highlanders by ten. Okay. Yeah, and final on. match of the round will be the Brumbies hosting the Hurricanes in Canberra at GIO Stadium and will be at 7.45 on Saturday. I'm actually going to pick the Brumbies to get up here going against the run of form considering the Brumbies are three and none and the Canes are three and three. So I think it'll be close. I think it'll be hard fought, but the Brumbies are due a win plus playing in front of a home crowd is going to be a big lift. So I think it'll be Brumbies by eight. This is a tough one um, this week because we don't we don't know the Brumbies team that's going to be on the field yet because yes. it's Sunday night or Monday night and it, a week out. It really comes down to who's going to be there. Uh, the other thing that it is the Brumbies' first time playing at home in this Trans Tasman competition, but I don't expect there to be a massive crowd, particularly because of the performance of the Brumbies the last few weeks and this, the fact that this Trans-Tasman is now essentially a dead rubber for the Aussie sides. I think the Hurricanes are going to be up and ready for it because they're currently sitting in second spot. So they want to be able to secure an extra bonus point this week to really push for a final spot this year. Considering they finished Super Rugby Aotearoa in, th- in last place, I think they're going to be up and ready for it. We don't know the teams, but if they can, if they get both of... Um, the, and it's not the Barretts. What, what are the the brothers? Um, I've which, had a mind blank. Which ones? Um, <laughs> the captain, the captain of the Hurricanes. Uh, uh, uh the Surveyor brothers. Yeah, if Surveyor. they can get both of those guys playing, which they haven't played together yet in in Trans Tasman, I think they're going to be hard to stop. So yeah, let's go Hurricanes by ten. Yep. And those are all good calls. Like, I understand your reasoning for why you're doing that. As I go through, I see I've picked the Reds to win and the Brumbies to win. So, I've picked two Australian teams to get up over the Kiwis, which is pretty gutsy. But considering it's the two best teams for the Super Rugby AU comp and actually playing at home, um, it's not out of the realms of reality but it's it's good that you've said that because hopefully it means that i can jump up when you get you prove to be wrong i can jump (laughs) up a bit up the table and take over you i'm just a patriot mate i'm just doing it for the country Except for you, Good. you traitor. So that, that's it for tonight. Thank you so much, everybody, for getting to this point within the pod. I hope you really enjoyed the conversation with Morgs. It was enlightening. It was forthright. And he brought some really interesting perspectives and was willing to just say it as he saw it, particularly around the issues of Shoot Shield Rugby and yeah. his beliefs of um, some of the challenges that are being faced by Australian rugby at the moment. So it was a wonderful opportunity. Thank you again, Morgs, for listening. Uh, Mitch, anything you want to say to our beloved listeners before we finish up yeah just thanks for getting to this point thanks for getting involved with the locker room it was awesome to be able to put your questions to morgues and we love hearing from you so keep getting involved and send us any messages or tweets or thoughts around what's happening at the games as well we'd love to hear from you so get involved everyone get involved have a great night bye bye